Hey, this is great. I'm glad you found us. Welcome to the conversation. This is the Wags and Fresh Podcast. Well, the loveliest thing that I ever did see was a young man dreaming of what he could be. This episode of the Wags and Fresh Podcast is brought to you by Fresh Start Chiropractic. Located at 6 Shore Road in Linwood, New Jersey, or you can visit us on the web at drfreshnewjersey.com. That's drfreshnj.com. Also, please check out our website at wagsandfresh.com, where you can see all the updated info about the podcast, as well as information about the books that John has written, some videos he's done as well, soon to have some merchandise there as well. So enjoy. We have an opportunity to sit down with a grade school friend. He was one of our first friends to chart a course and go after it. And that course took him around the country and uh, not too sure if he knew it or not. It ended up opening a unique door for his uh, next career that he had chosen for himself. And there's a whole bunch of stories in between. So this is uh, Dave Levin. Welcome. How's it going, guys? Thank you very much. Honored to be here. So yeah, it's great. You know, I, I think that you, the way you just described that, even though, you know, we talked or, you know, we kind of talked a little earlier about what we were going to, you know, talk about. I what it reminded me was and I whether you're conscious of this or not, Dave or not, Dave, it was one of those things where you put your mind to something and and people, at least those of us that were paying attention, noticed that there was noticeable changes based off of decisions you made at a very young age. And for me that was basketball. Basketball was that thing that I saw. I mean, you were always an underrated athlete, in my opinion. I thought you were one of the better athletes oh. we grew up with. And thank you. And I think that's, you know, watching you transform, you know, which for us, not watching you practice every day, look like it was overnight, but obviously you put the work <laughs> in and, and, and practice to get that good. So um, for me, I've, I go one step further back past even the, the, the culinary part of it to see that that's kind of how your mind worked. So. Oh, I appreciate hearing that. I, I remember, uh, I don't know if you guys remember, but I remember seventh grade Hutch basketball. Yep. And uh, for me, I remember watching Jeff Grossman play. And to me, back then, he was like the Michael Jordan of basketball. <laughs> that, <right? laughs> sure. And, you know, when we were talking this afternoon, you know, I, I, I think about sports a lot because I think sports helped um, kind of develop, you know, developed into into who I became as far as you know into the culinary thing but when I when I think about basketball especially this afternoon it brought me back to seventh grade I didn't know what I was doing that first year of Hutch sure I remember Charlie Charlie Lachina was our captain uh and we had a team it was me Charlie Al Messina Fred Burwell and Jim Grimley now my dad had to take over that team about halfway through Franny Shaw's dad was coaching it and he was just having problems after the first few games so I asked my dad to coach I didn't even know about the three-second rule. I didn't. I couldn't <laughs> shoot. I couldn't even. I didn't know what I was doing. Charlie was yelling at me the first couple games. He said, "When you're on offense, you can't be in the center of the under the rim. It's three seconds." I didn't even know what he was talking about. <laughs> and I think right. And it was just. It was just. And then I'm watching Jeff Grossman, Charlie dribbling like maniacs, and you know, John, you're John, you and Justin, you know, back in seventh and eighth grade, you guys were 
you know, peaked. to me it was Jeff Grossman, and then <laughs> huh? We peaked. Pete? We we know we peaked. We had our peak. <laughs> I don't know about that, but let's just say right after Jeff, it was you, John, and uh, Charlie, and uh, and I was just I was a mess. And I think right after that first season, I was like, I got to do something about this. <laughs> yeah, so when when you when you felt that, did that mean like now you're on the basketball court? working on things like it was it a conscious thing or just did you just like basketball and just got better that way I think a little bit of everything I think it was like uh um I like basketball and I just I think I, I I just it just hit me that um I've got work to do and I liked it so I just started practicing like like crazy I think I was just shooting all day and night trying to get better you know and I, and I remember since. <laughs> yeah, even at our age, huh? But the funny thing is, since with all three of us talking, eighth grade came around, and who was the team captain on my Hutch team in eighth grade? I was. Yep, Justin was. <laughs> and, and Justin, you you were still you were still like up there in the top, but at least I knew I wasn't. I went from being like couldn't even didn't even know the rules to I started being okay Levin's got a little bit of a shot going so I mean I wasn't I wasn't near the top but I was I was starting to get a little better and uh did you, you do know that I remember alone or with your dad um I think the one again thinking about this this afternoon you know I think what helped was my dad was athletic he was yeah. a good basketball player in his day and I had an older brother right and having an older brother especially baseball and playing little league and and having an older brother to like push you a little bit and and wanting to hang out with his older friends while they're playing sports it gives you a little incentive to want to improve yourself yeah it was um that was it was funny because i would i would say that for that season for me uh, was the season where I knew I that I wasn't going to play basketball after that season um, because I was so I played so physical. I was a very good defensive player, but I, I really wasn't the scorer of, of any. And I didn't need to be on that team with you and Charlie on the team. I didn't need to be the scorer. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I, and so I just knew right then and, and everybody else started getting better. And I, I didn't really my focus was football. And so I I just went right. in a totally different direction. And so but that was funny that, that that was the season that you started to kind of make it on the scene from a basketball perspective. And it was the season where I'm like, this takes too much work for a sport. I don't know <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's funny. Yeah, me, you, Charlie and Pete Salata. I remember was on that team, too. Uh, I think Dirk Mewitz was on that team. Dirk uh, Mike, you, know, yeah. you know who else was on our team? Uh, Doug Coleman was on our team. He was on the bench and George Suter. Were they? Yeah, they were wow. on the bench. It's yeah. the last time we see Dougie on the bench and playing yeah. with us. And then when you guys, when you guys have professional <laughs> athletes sitting on the bench, I think I, you guys, I think you guys had a shot at the title. Yeah, we. <laughs> I think the closest game we 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 almost lost by. I mean, we won by only ten. I think was the closest game we had all year. We were right. Bad. Yeah, we took it serious, but yeah. Uh, yeah, sports sports was huge. I mean, I think sports was huge for a lot of people in developing developing themselves and coming up with an identity. You know, sure. well, sure. that's what I was going to say. Your your self-awareness and, and self-confidence, you know, as other people are, you know, running around, you know, what should we do and what are you going to do? You know, you had those conversations, but you didn't need to have those conversations to make decisions or, or think of avenues that, that you think you would enjoy pursuing. And you were probably the first first person who really had their own head on their shoulders and, you know, actually had a direction. Well, I guess I was fortunate. I got that job at Lou's Restaurant in Ventnor 
sometime in I think junior year in high school and uh you know just just wanting to have some fun and work with other you know with friends I think it was a fountain boy making milkshakes and cutting desserts for the waitresses and pouring sodas and I remember Herb the owner he just came up to me I think after six months and he said I need you to work in the back of the room with the chef I never wanted to I didn't like the guy and he said, just just do me a favor. I, you know, his assistant quit. Just go back there with him. And that just that's that really started it. You know, that oh, just so what really... happened when you got back there. You just like uh, actually enjoyed it or just was like, this is pretty cool or not. Not at first. I didn't like the guy. He was uh, Joe was at any time I walked back there. He would give me a hard time. Like, what do you want? What are you doing back here? When I when I worked up at the front. So I did it for a favor for Herb. Um, and I went back there and I, you know, Herb introduced me to him. He knew who I was and he, and, and he, uh, he immediately handed me, I think a bag of carrots and, and a bunch <laughs> of celery and he, and he taught me real quick how to use a knife mm. and he said, start chopping away. So about, you know, five band-aids later, I finished chopping this huge thing of vegetables <laughs> up and I said, Oh, what are we making? And he goes, well, give me the trash can. And he threw them all away. Yeah. <laughs> and he said, that was knife skills lesson number one. But I learned right. how to use a knife when I was 17, 16 years old. And then I love it. Yep. And then he uh, and then I gradually turned into, all right, came in the next day. Let me teach you how to make this. Came into the net. Let me teach you how to roast turkeys and roast meats. And all right, watch me make the gravy. Get me the onions. All right, you're going to make the potato salad and the and the dressing. And uh, you're going to put the the meat in the oven. And, and little by little, this kid who didn't know how to do anything except play a little ball, maybe, was never given responsibility ever in his life. I, you know, I, I, I didn't, you know, long story short, my dad, my dad, my dad lost his father when he was like 14, which is like, I guess, the a very rough age to lose your dad. Sure. So my dad never grew up learning how to do anything, couldn't change a tire on his car, couldn't do anything around the house, building anything. So he had nothing to teach me and my brother, technically. Sure. And I like, I like, like the rest of us, we were not the best students in the world. You know, mm -hmm. I was an average student. So I get placed in this kitchen with this chef and he starts teaching me things. And for the first time I was actually learning and somebody actually gave me responsibility and trusted me with it. Mm -hmm. And it just hit me like a, you know, it just hit me like, like out of nowhere, I, you know, I, I can do this and I actually like it. And then right. I became a sponge and just took off. So it took off, it took you off to where you, you went right into culinary school from, well, or how by the, after the end of that, after the end of this one summer going into senior year of high school, I had learned so much. I had made up my mind. I want to do this for a living. And that's obviously talking with this, you know, the chef who I hated, Joe, became one of my best friends, started talking to me about culinary school. And I just started to read up about it. And little by little, I just started to get excited about it. The more I learned and the more I wanted to be a chef. So I, I, I went to Atlanta Community College, like right around before even September. And I just signed up for culinary school, did all the paperwork. And so going into my senior year, I was ready to go. I was, wow. And then by that time, I was making plans to follow Joe, who had left Lou's. He went to Showboat and kept in touch with him. And later on, I asked him, could you get me a job at Showboat with you? And so I was moving into uh, you know, my second job, getting more experience, signed up for culinary school, and my senior year hadn't even ended yet, barely even started. Wow. And so things, things were already rolling. And right in your backyard was a pretty – great school right i mean it was known for being a great culinary school too yeah it's it's pretty much known as it's it's probably still maybe the, the best in new jersey 
Yeah. I mean, back then it didn't have much competition in the state, but now obviously there's so many community colleges that have opened up over the years that offer a culinary program. But Atlanta Community College still is known as one of the top, if not still the best culinary school in the, uh, in the state at least. So it's, well, it's got a good reputation. That's a great feeder system into the, all the casinos and everything. Oh, so yeah. It makes a lot of sense. So Absolutely. Yeah. De- definitely the area needs it with, with the casino industry. Sure. But I mean, did you, I guess my question to you is, did you see that in yourself as, as being something on how you're wired and how you uh, thought about, I think it's tough when you're younger, obviously, to kind of recognize that, hey, practice equals, you know, results. Right. And, and how do I then translate to the next you know, thing I'm interested in and so forth and so on. You're not sometimes aware of it, but did you have any, any conscious awareness of that happening at the time or have, when did it become real to you understanding how that was all working for you? As far as the chef being a chef, becoming a chef? In, in general, for me, I, I, you know, a lot, John's real good at it, kind of d- diving into the deeper details. But for me, I love the, love the idea of the, the concept of how you, you can translate one way that you're, you know, I got you the basketball and then you got into culinary and then, you know, now you're translating into the next thing and so forth and so on. And whether you're conscious of it or not, you, you know, you, you, you have been. Yeah. Like were you doing foul shots in the kitchen? Like, did you, (laughs) did you take, well, I guess, I guess, I think, I I think what, um, well, the one thing I've noticed, okay. If if you go back to our basketball discussions, seventh grade, I was awful. Eighth grade, I got a little better. And then my goal was I got, I'm going to make Atlantic city high school's basketball team. Right. I'm going to play one year of Atlantic city high school basketball. I got to make it once freshman right. year. I was still not as confident, you know, but I, I mean, I knew in the area of Vetner and Margate, I was, I was pretty good. I was okay. Right. Uh, <laughs> and then uh, I thought four year was the year I said, I'm going to go for it. And, you know, I was playing with and I'm going to a tryout with Bobby Martin, who played for the University yeah. of Pittsburgh. So right. it's pretty, pretty intimidating. And a few other yeah, guys. I mean, you could say for our area, those are the best guys at basketball were on that team. So for sure, making that team yeah. said something about where you've made it, you know, in with your basketball right. skills at, at that level. That was the team to make. So I guess what was what was what was happening to me was that I wasn't accepting average in myself i wasn't i wasn't going into something without a goal or a plan um i refused to you know just be you know known as okay i necessarily have to be the best i mean that's but i I didn't want to be at the bottom and so i started to see that with sports was a big help and again having uh i guess having a an older brother helped having a dad who was athletic helped and that started to get instilled within me so when the cooking thing came around and i started to think about becoming a chef it wasn't okay i'm not just big i'm just i'm not just going to go to culinary school and cook i'm going to culinary school for a reason i want to be the guy i want to be an executive chef and it's you know it's people don't sometimes younger people don't understand you're not going into the industry to become a sous chef which is second in charge and i've had younger people tell me what do you want to do i want to be a sous chef no you don't you don't want to, mm-hmm. you don't play, you don't play basketball. I want to join the team so I can sit on the bench. No, you know? So, yeah. you know, it was, I want to be an executive chef. So I, I, I talked to whoever I could about what that means and what, what is out there and in, in the, in the industry, what don't I want to do in the industry? What do I want to do in the industry? Reading, I read articles about the, the, the best chefs in the country, or the best chefs in the world in magazines before the internet. And I learned what these uh, people had to go through how to do 
to get where they want it to be. And that, that and that's that another was, that's another gift you have. I mean, you don't just put in the work. You ask the questions of the people who's already put in the work right. and is already standing in the place that you want to be. That's another great gift you have. Thank you. Yep. Um, and so I learned. And, 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 and if you look at any chef bio, any any background of any chef, even the, one, the ones you see on TV or, or whatever, it's you can't stay in one place. You don't become good by going from uh, the Ventnor restaurant to the to another Ventnor restaurant, to a Margate restaurant, to Atlantic City restaurant. You become good by going from New Jersey to Virginia, to New Mexico, to California. You travel. You have to yeah. travel it's around the country, around the world, whatever that may be. But you have got to, you've got to hit the road. And so right then, while I was going to culinary school, I knew I had to leave New Jersey. And there's some people that never want to do that. Yeah, and how you know. old were you at this point? Uh, probably uh, 1920 oh, in awesome. culinary yeah. school, Atlantic Community College, where I knew I had to eventually start thinking ahead uh, a year before I graduated. Where, are you, where do you want to, you know, where do you want to be? You have to leave New Jersey. Easier said than done. But where do you go? Well, then that's the next step. And, and again, back then there was no Internet. So, it, again, it's reading magazines um, and, and literally writing down literally on a piece of paper. What's the best hotel in Florida? What's the best hotel in Texas? Who's the hottest chef in the Southwest? Who's the top chef in Boston? Write them down and literally get on the phone and sure. just introduce yourself and say, I want to work for you. And it's, and it's something that still hasn't changed today. You know, if we, you know, if we flash forward in what I do with some of my current students, you literally get on the phone and introduce yourself to a chef and you tell them who you are and what you want. And uh, I'd say probably six months before I was going to graduate culinary school, um, I found this. Uh, I, I got a hold of somebody in, in, in an association down in Palm Beach, Florida, and I asked him, "What? Who is the top chef in, in Southern Florida? And you know, at a hotel?" And he told me about this guy named Hubert, real young chef, and he was he was executive chef over what is now the Four Seasons Ocean Grand in Palm Beach, Florida, beautiful little resort. Um, right along the beach. And the, he said, the guy is doing some really, really cutting edge, cutting edge style food, real modern Floridian Caribbean food. And I literally called him up out of the blue and introduced myself. And he said, get over here, get on a plane and come out mm. and talk to me. And nice. luckily I had an aunt and uncle who lived in West Palm beach. So it was a simple phone call. They came to the airport, picked me up. And, uh, I literally, you know, they dropped me off at this hotel, which was like right out of the lifestyles of the rich and famous. It was just mm -hmm. the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. Um, and I was uh, I went to the front desk. They brought me back to the kitchen. I had to sit in the chef's office uh, waiting for him. He was being interviewed by a bunch of food magazines. And I'm just sitting there watching the kitchen and I'm looking at these beautiful plates of food go by. And I just knew right then and there, um, I, this is where I need to be, you know. And that's, of course, after calling awesome. about 50 other places on the phone from California to Alaska to Boston to Virginia. I called everybody, you know. <laughs> that's, that's yeah, amazing. it was pretty cool. It was pretty cool. How long were you there? I was there for two years and I volunteered. I had some experience. I mean, I uh, by the time I went there, I had two years of culinary school experience, uh, Lou's Restaurant Vetter. I worked for Showboat, um, Cousins Country House, if you guys remember that restaurant. Waterford Inn, mm -hmm. across from a Waterford Inn, across from ACC. So I worked at uh, Ramshead Inn. I worked at the Ramshead for a year. 
So I had a little bit of experience, but I voluntarily told the chef or asked him, I said, I don't care what you pay me, but I want you to treat me like an apprentice, like an old, like, like the European style apprenticeships where don't put me in one place. I want you to move me around from every station. And I'll give, you know, for two or three years, just move me everywhere. And he agreed to it. And he didn't pay me much. I mean, he paid me enough to where I could live. You know, my, luckily my parents helped me. Um, but uh, yeah, he, he hired me as like an apprentice. And he basically moved me around from like, the, he made me a breakfast cook one day, uh, put, me in the, put me on the lunch hotline for six months, put me in the butcher shop for six months, the fine dining restaurant, the pastry department, just everywhere. And I just learned. It was, it was, See, awesome. I, I'm just really encouraged by your vision and your plan, because to go from the places you worked at to go to this place and not only go there and meet a top chef, but you are so laser focused on what you want that you actually told him how to use you. Yeah, it was good because you already knew what you wanted to get from that experience that would be worth more than anything right. else. And you actually managed that situation. No, the way you put it, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's kind of cool. Yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> I'm like, wow, did I? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I just read what, you know, again, reading magazines, it's, it's, you know, there, there are, there's, there's, there's roadmaps to everything, you know, and, and we didn't have sure. the internet back then. So the roadmap was literally like, if you pick up an article in the paper or a magazine, you know, and, and, and you hear a story of a chef who's nationally known, well, what did he do to get there? And they all, all the top chefs would go to Europe and they would do, they would find these great chefs and they would do these like apprenticeships where they would just, you know, move around from station to station. And went, you know, why am I going to go, am I going to go all the way to Florida to, to be the breakfast cook there for two years? What, what was it? You know? Well, maybe he was thinking so much about his career that he didn't know what it was like to be a good supervisor to an apprentice. Maybe, you know, maybe if you just would have followed him off his suggestions he was probably maybe just looking to further his career and show you a couple of things but that's why knowing what you want is so important sure. even if you're around greatness because you can bring more out of them as, as their ability sure. to help you but you can make sure you're getting at what you want out of right. it too even if it's your if it's your first day empty and trash right cans. It, it was it's yeah awesome. it was the perfect place too for me it it, it, it the chef was young his, the cooks that worked there were all culinary school graduates for the most part. Most of them were culinary school graduates. Uh, they had an agreement with a lot of uh, culinary schools up north like Johnson Wales and CIA. So every six months, we'd get a new crop of interns from culinary schools. So I was surrounded by people mm. who were within the same goals as myself. And so a mm. lot of them, they were, you know, they we were all there. To, we were helping each other. Everybody kind of like worked well together. Everyone knew you know, you, you, you help each other for the good of a team where, and that's not always the case in top of the line restaurants. Sometimes they can be very cutthroat with the cooks alone, not caring about each other, but this place is different. And before we go on to your next location, I, there may be a little theme going. So Joe was your first influence in the kitchen. Yeah, Joe. Yeah, Joe. Uh, at at yep. Lou's. Okay. So give us a nugget about Joe and then a nugget about you go. Yeah, Hubert. What, Hubert. what your biggest takeaway, what, Hubert. Hubert, what your biggest takeaway were from those two. And then we'll, we'll follow you on to sure. your next location. Well, Joe was, um, Joe Germano was just a local guy, went to Atlantic City High School, played football. He's like a big guy, six foot, probably like 250 uh, with attitude. Uh, he worked at he worked at some decent places. Nothing nothing grand, but he worked at he was a solid guy. He just very 
very efficient. Um, and I think he gave me he gave me the basics. He taught me how to use a knife. He taught mm-hmm. me what the life of a chef was going to be like. He taught me some basic things about soups and roasting meats. He gave me the basics, the foundation, which, of course, I got in culinary school. Hubert was somebody who had worked in a few really nationally known top of the line hotels and, and places like Ritz Carlton. He was CIA trained uh, top, top culinary school in New York, worked in some nationally known hotels. And he was on the cutting edge of back in, back in the, I guess, 1990, 91. One of the big food themes in the country was, was coming out of Miami. Miami was becoming the, the, the California, the Los Angeles, California, the East Coast, as far as um, food, as far as movie stars, as far as hangouts, club scene, music, uh, fashion. And so Hubert was in the, was, was in the middle of all that when it came to the food. So he took my basics and just opened this door to just all kinds of ingredients from around the world and, and beautiful mm. plate presentations. And, you know, he was getting food that I was like, what is this? I've never seen it before. What, you know, and I, it was just, it was, it was for, for a young chef, it was, it was incredible. It was just, just buying the best food around the world, regardless of how much it cost. And so, right. You didn't see that in culinary no, school. No, I right? mean, it was right. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, I, you know, by the time I got to Hubert, I could cook a burger. Well, Hubert said, I, you know, I know you can cook a burger. I'll tell you how to make burger from getting this whole half a cow into the, uh, into the, you know, into the butcher shop and I'll tell you how to break it down. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I know you can cook salmon, but can you break down a salmon or, you know, I know you know what fruit and vegetables are, but have you ever seen any from New Zealand or Australia or China or whatever? And, Back then, that was different than the way you know food distribution is now. You know, you can get. It. So let me ask you. Let, let me ask you another question. When did you know it was time to go? When you have gotten what you've needed, and it was still you knew still you had more of your journey left. And um, I think it, it was. I time. think after two years, um, I, I think for a young chef, you want to keep moving around and learn from as many good chefs as you can. Um, and I was there for two years. And it, it just, I, I think also, I, for some reason, I think I missed home. It's one of the, every time I came back on vacation, um, it was, it was great to see people again. You know, I didn't come home often. It was like once a year or so, once every year and a half. So I, I, I think it was a combination of getting a little homesick and I think being ready for the next step. I wasn't going to get, I wasn't going to get promoted there or move up a little bit. Not that I thought I was a chef at that point, but it was time to take what I've learned and take it to the next level. And so after yep. about two years, it, it, I was ready for another move. Where did you I end up I came home at? for uh, a summer, and I actually got a job at the pastry shop at Shobo Casino. Uh, just for some reason, I got into my head that, you know what, every, every great chef needs to, to be well-rounded, not just in hot food and other things. You need to, you know, learn – you need to learn all different facets. So I thought, let me take a break here. I got a job at the pastry shop in Showboat, uh, where Joe was still working. Uh, I did that for the summer. And then the, I think the travel bug set in again. And, it was, and, it, and I had to remind myself to get back on the road and, and, and uh, continue with the journey. And so the next step was Washington, D.C., which I've always read had some great chefs. and was a really good town to uh, a good restaurant town. So... It's another cool little story. I called up about eight to 10 hotel chefs. Just again, introduced myself. I called uh, 
Stouffer Mayflower. I called the Watergate Hotel, the Jefferson Hotel, this Park Hyatt Hotel, uh, this couple hotels right across from the White House, right, literally right across the street from the White House. Introduce myself. And they basically said, all right, get over here. You've got to meet you, got to meet you face to face. So I said, I, I said, Dad, how about a road trip? So literally, we drove down to D.C., mm-hmm. got, a, got a hotel room, and I basically took about eight cab rides from hotel to hotel, uh, getting about, uh, you know, eight to ten interviews within a, a two-day period, and, uh, which was wow. pretty cool. And uh, I settled on this uh, one place. At the time, it was called the Stouffer Mayflower, Renaissance Mayflower Hotel. I've been there for like a, it's, it's been, a, it's like a 120 year old national historic, you know, oh, beautiful awesome. building. And uh, they had a position open in their fine dining restaurant. Um, and it was, and the interesting thing was the chef of the restaurant, an Italian chef, uh, his name was Tino Bugio, wasn't there at the time he was on vacation. So the executive chef at the hotel hired me, which was, well, you know, interesting. Uh, so I, I went there and it was a very unique situation because it was a, re- a fine dining restaurant within a hotel, but it was very uh, self-sufficient. They did all their own desserts in the restaurant. They did all their make their own pasta. Uh, they did all their own butchering. They didn't utilize like the hotel butcher or the pastry chef that was there. They did everything in this one little restaurant. And so another really good experience, but different than Florida. Um, European chef. A little angrier than Hubert. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he, uh, um, he, he, he got back from vacation and he was told that uh, I'm his new cook. And so he didn't hire me. But it was okay. You know, he was, he, was, he was obviously polite, you know, in the beginning, but he was different than what I was used to. He was old-fashioned European. And, you know, the joke was, if he curses at you in American, you're okay. But once he starts p- speaking Italian, forget it. He's angry. I heard a lot of Italian in that restaurant. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, the staff was different too. You know, if you remember what I told you about the staff at the the cooks that I worked with in Florida, everybody, you know, it was different in in Washington. Yeah. And I imagine New York would be the same way. And I've heard some things, big city, restaurant, hotel, kitchens, very cutthroat, not as sometimes, sometimes not as uh, team oriented as you might think it would be. Uh, but I learned, sure. you know, I learned, I just learned it was a little more, a little harsher of, of, an, of an environment. Maybe what you've seen from movies and if you've ever watched them or, or let's say Gordon Ramsay, that sort of situation. Right. And I learned, yeah, but sure. um, I always tell my students that they ask me about being a, a cook and mo- trying to move up. I would, I, I got an apartment in downtown DC. I used to jog to the white house and back. I lived right in that area. I would walk to work. It was, it was cool. very cool. I walked to work and I had stomach pains walking to work because I was so stressed of possibly making a mistake. You know, it was a, it was a very rough environment. You learned, you know, you make a mistake. It's not like it's you're getting yelled at. <laughs> sure. But it toughens you up. It disciplines you. Um, and there's, you know, there's positives and negatives that you um, – that you uh, take from it, the experience, you know, and for me, it was, I wanted to learn and I, and I did get better and I got a totally different type of food uh, style. Hubert was more cutting edge, uh, very trendy and Tino was more traditional European, but, but very cool. I mean, he was, um, he was probably, I would describe him as uh, one of the best chefs in the city who wasn't as known, wasn't like a celebrity chef. That's because Mm -hmm. hotel hotel chefs, it's harder to get known than the freestanding restaurant. 
but uh, sure. but it was you know you can't trade those experiences you know you you, you get something no. from everything. So I How I was only there like, about yeah. uh, about a year year and a half. Um, and actually you know without I actually got moved to the uh, banquet kitchen, which I didn't want to, but um, let's just say it was a tough environment to to play nice with uh, other cooks, and it was. Um, it was it was just a tough environment, and the executive chef who the executive chef always liked me, the one who hired me, and he just said, "Look, you know, you've been there all eight months, you've learned a lot. Why don't you try to learn something in the banquet kitchen?" And I didn't want to, but I, I you know, I went along with it. I worked in the banquet kitchen. So, Go ahead. Yeah. Oh no, God. Oh no, I was just going to ask. Um, now that step was that something that's in line with being an executive chef, like something you would help for that part of your career or do you felt feel like that was sort of a side step and you were trying to fight back to get on course you're good john you're good you <laughs> yeah that was <laughs> <at the> time, <laughs> you know being in the, being cooking in the fine dining restaurant you were considered at the top of the food chain so when the chef basically asked me to uh to go to the banquet kitchen i thought it was more of a, a side step Little did I realize mm-hmm. it, may, it, it helped me. Uh, it helped me greatly. Um, uh-huh. Yes, but unfortunately, <laughs> unfortunately, I didn't enjoy my time in the banquet kitchen because when you're in a fine dining restaurant, you're making very cool things for a particular uh, plate. You know, you're not you're not cooking for a thousand people. You're cooking for sometimes it was you know forty, fifty people tonight. So you can concentrate on doing really intricate work making pasta from scratch, you know, making nice plate presentations. But when you're doing banquets for 500 to 1,000 people, um, you're, you're, you're cutting vegetables for 1,000 people. You're mm. grilling off steaks for 1,000 people. You know, at the time when you're young. The fundamentals, huh? right? You're just p- pounding away at the fundamentals. That's huh? it. And that's it. And at that time, I wanted to learn, learn, learn. I didn't realize I was learning. Um I was working for a really good chef. He was young. He had worked at the at the fine dining restaurant with Tino. Uh, he was he was a great guy who I still keep in touch with to this day. I even keep in touch with Tino to this day on Facebook, which is funny. Um, but I didn't I didn't I didn't enjoy my time. So eventually, after about a year and a half total in the hotel, it was time to go, and it was time to make a move. It was time to move up in the industry. And so I heard about a position opened at a DoubleTree hotel at the time, a few blocks away which was a step down in hotel quality, but a step up in, for, in position I was going for. I was, mm-hmm. I was going for a, to, for a sous chef position. And, and so that was, my, that was the next move I tried, to do, I tried for. And I basically, I interviewed at this hotel um, and, um, and they looked at my resume and they, they were impressed. And the, and the, and the, the good thing was the, the, the person interviewing me, the food and beverage director, Alan, uh, he worked in Florida, so he heard of the Ocean Grand Hotel. So he immediately called mm. me up asking for nice. asking me to come in for an interview. And so that was that that nice. was my next step. And I got hired as a sous chef. At a, you know, it's even a Holiday Inn in New York, it's you know, Holiday Inn's not the the most, you know, upscaled brand, but you're in your Holiday Inn in New York. So the Double Drew is a decent right. brand. Right. Even though it was a lower level than the hotel I'd come from, it's still downtown Washington D.C. So it's still, you know, it's still a, a pretty good thing to be a part of. And it was an up-and-coming company at the time. There was only about ninety double trees in the country. Um, so I mean, I was only twenty-three at the time, twenty-four. So 
I got, you know, my first sous chef position and, uh, you know, I was on my way at that point. It was a really, it turned out to be a good move. So, so for those of us that don't really know the difference of what the sous chef does versus a chef versus executive chef, what, what is the sous chef? What is it? What, as, as, what's the, the sous chef, uh, in a small, ho- in a smaller hotel, like, like at the double tree, I was the chef's basically right hand man. Uh, the executive chef was responsible okay. for the food costs, the labor costs, for the menu writing, the hiring, the firing, the whole thing. His sous chef would be his man in the actual kitchen, right right in the thick of things, making sure the restaurant food goes out, gotcha. the banquet food, et cetera, et cetera. And so I was hired for that position. Yeah. So That's it was nice. pretty cool. And, you know, at that point, you know, I had gotten to a certain level. I was now I was now in management. I was no longer a line cook. Which, you know, mm, looking right. back on it, maybe I, I wish I had worked mm. under a couple more good chefs and still learned a little bit. Sometimes you can get that first step and it can be too fast. But it was it was, it was still a good move. Sure. You know, I was still uh, getting a little more money and, uh, you know, started to really come into my own. Now I was part of the decision-making process. And, and in charge of That's people nice. double my yeah. age, which was had its own challenges. <laughs> Sure, sure. I actually, I was obviously, you know, I was in that business um, on the outside of the, right. the house side when my career and, uh, you know, I was doing a lot of that as well. I was managing at 2021, 22, 23, you know, and uh, managing a lot of people that were yeah. 25, 28, 30, you know, it was, it was a, it was a challenge, but um, it, and you definitely learned how to become better as a manager and it's it's a good time if i would suggest anybody as you and i've talked about that that's a young man's game in the restaurant business hotel business and um you know it's what's great about it is that you might as well jump into the deep end as soon as you possibly get that opportunity i I agree you should do all those things and take all the proper steps and whichever side of the 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 house you're on but at the same time you know there's no reason to wait You, you might as well dive right into doing what you want to do and if you want to manage or you want to be a sous chef you want to do whatever you need to do you don't let things like no absolutely um because it'll help you long term the only thing it hurts you is that you're probably not going to be friends with a whole lot of people when Hmm. you're a 23 year old manager um but you know you just have to recognize that's part of the gig and and i know i didn't really care about that so much so i'm sure that that was something you you just had to manage manage through and deal with but you came out the yeah, other side, yeah. no problem. It, uh, it, you know, it, it was a great move, um, but it did bring about a lot of challenges, as you were as you were talking about, as you mentioned. Um, you know, I had to go through a lot of, I went through a lot of ups and downs the first first couple of years because I was never, you know, the the funny thing is looking back on my on my career, um, chefs taught me how to cook, but chefs never taught me how to be a manager. And how to be a chef, actually, because, I mean, you, you know, people think, well, if you're a chef, you're, you know, you're a great cook. Well, that's not that's only very it's only part of the game. I mean, a chef is a is a runs the kitchen. And so Hubert never, you know, I never right. learned how to run a kitchen from Hubert or Tino or, or any or Joe. I learned how to cook. Um, so now I'm being right. given a job uh, as far as how to end culinary school certainly doesn't prepare you for that. So now I'm, I'm supposed to manage people. I'm supposed to manage situations. I'm supposed to manage customers who 
confront waiters who confront me or clients. And I just was, wasn't in over my head, but I, 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 I could tell you some stories and uh, I went through a lot of, <laughs> I went through a lot of mental ups and downs and, uh, and you know, and, but I sure. finally, one of the keys was um, the first general manager of the hotel. I barely saw, he's one of those guys who I'm sure you've seen him, Justin, where you, you know, who's, you know, who one of the big bosses is, but you never see him. Uh, about uh, six sure. to eight months into that that first sous chef experience, this uh, new general manager got hired, and uh, thank God because he actually became my mentor uh, and taught me taught me how to be a chef. Because I think he wanted to fire me a half a dozen times, and luckily he did not. Uh, and and uh, <laughs> recognized that I had something worthwhile for him to invest his uh, time in, and, and thank God he did because he became my uh, my mentor you know, and, and really sent me on my way and uh, put up with a lot, thank God, you know, so. What was it that about him specifically that uh, drew you to him? Obviously, he was, he was going to be your boss one or the other, but I guess what did you mostly glean from from him when you say, when you use the word mentor, yeah. that's a pretty big, you know, that's a pretty big word, so um, what ultimately. He just, right away, he just, you know, he would come down to the kitchen and he would watch me. And he would ask questions and he would, he would ask my opinion. Um, he took an interest in me. So I, and, and he, and he became, and he, and he, I, it, he, he, he gave me an outlet to vent a little bit and talk and, you know, cause I was a sous chef, so I wasn't the executive chef and the executive chef at the time was Steve. He was another young guy. He was only a couple of years older than me. And he, he was really good at certain things. Um, and our partnership, I guess, was a good combination. He was more, he was good with the food and labor cost. I was better with the food, but I wasn't in charge. So as you can see, things will come up. And, uh, you know, when you're young and you're frustrated with certain things and you have no, uh, you have no way to get that out, it can really be a problem. And, and his name was uh, Link Cottrell, Mr. Cottrell. And he became this uh, place to go talk and, and vent and everything. Um, and he just, and then in between that, I would make some very interesting mistakes. Let's just say with uh, raising my voice uh, <laughs> and raising my voice and, uh, and raising my voice. <laughs> I'm not going to say I was the Gordon Ramsay chef, but, um, you know, I, I, I probably, uh, you know, I probably, let's just say waiters at times were scared to walk in the kitchen if they 20 feet away <laughs> noticed I wasn't in a good mood. <laughs> um, I, I, we, we've all seen you get mad on the basketball court. So we know what that I remember, like. you know, I remember I, I, I actually, um, well, I guess it's not a bad thing to say, but I was, I was dating somebody who had worked there at the time. And uh, they all went up to her and they said, Nicole, can you talk to the chef? Because, you know, we have a question and he doesn't look angry. And she said, uh, no problem, guys. She took one look around the corner and she says, I'm not talking to him right now. <laughs> You're on your own. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, after making a lot of mistakes, which could have cost me my career or at least my job at the time, um, it, it, you know, he just, well, there was this one time, I, you know, without getting into, I can get into details if you want, but let's just, no, well, whatever um, it's up to you. I got angry at a waiter, you know, I got, you know, I got angry at a waiter and yeah. let's just say I got very angry at a waiter and I was wrong and it finally hit me. And this is about a, a year, at least a little over a year into the whole, into the whole thing. I got very angry one day on a Saturday 
And I really just went a little overboard. And it hit me right then and there. I like literally walked into the bathroom, splashed some cold water in my face, looked in the mirror. And I just literally, as basic as it is, you got to calm down. You've got to control yourself. It's you're, you're letting this thing get out of hand. Um, Cause I had never taught, I was really never taught how to handle certain things. And I went up to the, to Mr. Cottrell's office the, the uh, on, mon- on a Monday, cause something happened on a Saturday and he just looked at me straight in the eye and he said, look, you have 90 hotels in this company. You might be the youngest chef in the entire company right now, the youngest sous chef. He said, you have a chance to be one of the top chefs in this company at some of the top hotels in this company. But if you don't get your emotionality in check, you're gone. And he just mm. basically looked just, you know, real, real, real crisp and quick and stern, stern with love, like harsh, hardcore, hardcore love. And he says, you've got to get yourself together. And if you don't, you're not going to make it. And I think it really hit home, finally got through to me. And I walked home that day and I just said, it's, it's just time to calm down. And the next day I woke up and just as, as something as simple as walking to work and just talking to yourself a little bit saying, all right, if A happens, this is how you're going to handle it. If B happens, this is how you're going to handle it. Just relax and get through it. And little by little, people noticed over the next six months a change within me. My employees were telling me, hey, chef, you've been really cool lately. It's really good working with you. And then my the food and beverage director who hired me, Alan, just came up out of the blue after six months and said, everyone is noticing a big change. And about six months later, they transferred Steve to another double tree in the area close by and they promoted me. And I was actually at the time I was 25, maybe 24, 25. And I was officially the youngest executive chef in a company of a hundred hotels. Yeah. Which, <laughs> That's awesome. Which was, which awesome. was really cool. And they both, Alan, <laughs> Alan and Alan and Mr. Control were like literally praying that I got better. And they were both really looking out for my career, which was great. Well, I thought, I thought even the way you were, managing your emotions and and was again to john's point the fundamentals you're practicing how to how to work through that i mean now you had a year or so of experience of a lot of different things getting thrown at you and you had a chance to say okay well that's not how you handle that and i could have done that better and i did that okay but i could have also tried that a little bit and so you had a little bit of that to to work off of and now you had this opportunity to to you know like for six months plus to show everybody that you could pull, pull it together and then ultimately create long-term habits right. that became, you know, what became who you are versus, you know, this short lived defined moment of, uh, you know, dealing with frustration simply because you were just trying to learn how to swim. Uh, yeah. it. You were just, you were saying, Hey, I, I don't really know how to swim and I'm trying to learn and you're, you're not even throwing me a rope. So, um, uh, yeah, it was, it was, it was, a, so. it was tough. It was tough. It's all, just about survival, I guess, and just getting through it. And, uh, well, that's, 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 the stu- that's the stuff that people don't see or know is on the way to their dreams. They only see all the yeah. fluffy stuff. Yeah. They see, you know, the getting to this point and going to that point. But all that other stuff is part of the dream, too. And that's okay. No, it's, yeah, it's, it it's, part of the, it's part of the journey. Part yeah. of the journey. So, yeah, that was about uh, 1996, I think. 1996. First, first executive chef position. So, fast forward a little bit. How do you how do you convert that into what you have now? Um, well, let me see. So, after you know, long story short, after D- DC turned into Mr. Cottrell transferring me to Colorado Springs to a bigger hotel in the company, 
which turned right. into another GM wanting me to go to open a beautiful resort in in um, oh um, um, in Arizona in um, yeah in Arizona Sedona Sedona Arizona. So I opened up a resort with the company, okay. which turned trip to Houston, Texas, where you know we talked. Uh, for about, I was there for, so now yeah. I'm becoming the chef of like three in a row, top of the, some, I would say they were three of the top 12 hotels in Doubletree at the time. Um, and then, uh, and then a couple more, you know, trips, uh, then, uh, left the company for a little while, went to Los Angeles, had a little stop in St. Louis, then eventually made my way back to New Jersey. Um, and then, <clears throat> uh, went to Princeton. Well, real, real quick, John, did you know that Dave and I lived in no. at the same time? Yeah, we lived in – and we, 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 we talked, we talked about... like twice, and we never got together. <laughs> no, no, we're, we're in Houston. It's like, oh, I'll talk to you soon, Justin. Two years later, I'm gone. He's, he's like, Dave. Right. The same thing I right. told Justin, <laughs> that uh, Rich Rich Halverson comes out to Colorado Springs for some police conference, and he stays at the double trailer. I'm the chef that doesn't realize it, probably hanging out in the restaurants. I could have been 50 feet away from the guy, never even – you know, <laughs> um, you would have so, known if you guys were there on the same night. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, I made, made my way back to Jersey eventually. And uh, I worked in Princeton for about a year, then joined up with uh, Hilton Hotels, which had bought Doubletree at the time. So I was technically back in the company. Um, and then I, I think at that time, the industry for me was different. Uh, as you get older, it becomes harder. Um, you know, you just get, you know, Justin, you, you know, you understand, you get worn out by the industry. It's just not yep. as yep. you start looking at the clock sure. more. And then finally, um, yep. I think after I was, my final chef job was at the Sheridan Meadowlands back in 2004, I think, uh, long story short, I was, you know, I was still okay with being a chef, but it was becoming more difficult. And long story short, a new, a, a new company came in, bought the hotel. I was the chef at the Sheridan Meadowlands. It's right across from Giant Stadium. A new company came in, bought the hotel, and the, like literally within the next day, they got all the top managers together in the boardroom, and they just said, "Look, we we're the new owners, which we knew, and we no longer need your services. We're uh, we're going to go with our own people, which is common." And so I I drove home, and I, I knew plenty of people in the industry. I could have made a couple calls and gotten right back on my feet into another job. I, I think it just hit me. I had enough. I just, I couldn't go into another hotel and go through anything anymore, writing menus, fixing the food, et cetera, et cetera. I just didn't have, it just, it just all of a sudden right after that boardroom meeting, it's driving home. And I think I was done. I needed a new challenge. I needed something else. It's, it's a quote from a movie. I think uh, John Cusack say anything. I need, I need a dare to be great situation or something like that. <laughs> um, and um, I drove home and uh, I was walking around ACC back to the old culinary school. And I'm, and I'm watching these, these kids just sitting around on a beautiful sunny day, uh, sitting out in the grass with their books and just walking from class to class, which I never experienced. And uh, I was like, this, this looks pretty fun, you know? And uh, <laughs> well, I, I uh, had a couple of friends that were teachers and I was able to hang out with them during some of their school sporting events. And I, I really enjoyed watching them interact with the kids. Um, I've always loved history. I always thought about if I wasn't going to be a, a chef, what else could I have been? And, you know, a history teacher always popped up. And I thought, wow, 
what a great challenge. I was never a good student. I have, I, I, I don't even, when's the last time I ever wrote a paper? I wasn't mm-hmm. that good on the computer. How could I even possibly, all right, there's the goal. I want to become a teacher. And so that's when I literally just dropped everything and, you know, moved back to the area and between living with some friends and, and family, I, I went back to ACC, finished my associate's degree, transferred it to Stockton and began my bachelor's in history, which so was, was about, this was like the go ahead. 2000s, right? So, you know, this is what you're, you're in your thirties, right? So I'm a 33, 34. Um, I was used to making a great salary. I had money whenever I wanted. And I literally, I was, I went, I, you know, I, I'm friends with, you know, if you remember Lou Macera, he stayed, he went to culinary school with us and uh, he stayed in the area. He was a a chef of a restaurant in Northfield. So I worked for him, you know, for a few bucks under the table. Uh, So I was, I, I, I was on unemployment for a little bit and uh, you know, I went from being someone in a well-respected position of authority and decision making to flipping burgers with Lou and reading books and going to school. Wow. It, was, it was a little bit of a shock. And it was at many times I thought maybe I should just make some calls and just get right back into it. I didn't know if I was making the right decision for a while there. So it was very, very tough to stay positive, a little depressing at times. Sure. And that, that you know? did that take a full four years? Did you start over again, like from scratch? No, I, I had some, uh, I, I, I my culinary school credits were mixed in with some regular classes. So I had a little bit of a start. Gotcha. Uh, but, I, you know, by the time I got to Stockton, I just went, I was, I was going full force summer through summer, taking as many classes as possible. So I, I did it a little faster than four years, sure. you know, a little bit, you know. And you got more than a degree at Stockton, didn't you? Oh, oh yeah. I found a wife. Um, <laughs> 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 yep, I uh, met my wife there, and and I discovered. I, I guess it was just, uh, you know, I met my wife, which is which was great, obviously. But also, just um, it was actually the best time of my life. I think I had worked wow. in such a demanding industry, such a stressful industry that I enjoyed every minute of that college experience because I never got a, a true college experience. I mean, while while your typical student would go to class and go home, <laughs> if I had class at twelve. I'd get there at nine. I'd sit at a table, a cup of coffee, read books. I'd hang out there all day. <laughs> they, they, they didn't know how good they had it there. Kids were like, what are you doing here, Levin? I'm like, this is great. They're like, what's the wrong with you? I said, you don't, you don't get it, dude. This is the time of your life. I'd hold court at this one table outside the library, and kids would just stop off and hang out with me and then go to class and come back an hour later. I'm still there. You know, just drinking coffee. <laughs> it was great. Thing. That's funny. The good of yeah, father. I, I mean, I, I, learned, <laughs> I learned a lot. I mean, I really, you know, started to really, I mean, I learned, I always knew a little bit about history, but you know, when you're, when you're, when you're actually reading books and uh, really discussing things, uh, you know, I, I started to really tie a lot of things together and just really enjoyed it, you know, and really, I, I think, really got into it. And I think what and would be neat goal, for everybody to know is, um, so how did your, two worlds come together once you had your teaching degree oh well that's that, yeah that's the funny part so i, I graduated i you know i i, I got uh I, I never got a less than a b in a in a history i never got less than an a in a, in a history class i graduated magna cum laude i was award-winning uh thesis and yada 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 so i take all these awards into my interviews 
and to the to like Oakcrest, to Absagami, to some other high schools. And they're like, oh, that's great, history degree. So anyway, moving on, tell me about what life was like as a chef. Uh, <laughs> and to an interview, they wanted to, they were more interested in the chef experience than the history degree. <laughs> and so finally, Oakcrest said, look, we, we, I think that's great that you have a history degree, but we want you to teach culinary here. Well, if you know anything about education, it, you take what's offered to you. Sure. So for me, you know, so basically they offered me, they wanted me to start a full-blown culinary program there. And I thought, all right, let me get started there. I can always transfer it to the history department. So I wasn't, I didn't know anything about, you know, I, I taught cooks. I mean, I was a mentor to young cooks, you know, by the time I was done. But how do you teach high school kids how to make something in a half hour or 45 minutes? So, you know, it, it took a lot. I didn't know what, you know, what I was doing at first. It took some time. But, um, you know, but, uh, you know, they hired me as the culinary teacher. I started off, you know, teaching high school can be rough. You know, it, it takes time to get used to the kids. But eventually I learned to love it again. Food became a passion again. And it wasn't for, uh, for the last few years uh, as far as in my chef career. But then I discovered my new goals and I was going to help kids learn about food, help kids with careers, help kids who want to go to culinary school you know, with their careers. And that became a, a major goal of mine is I just wasn't going to be a teacher. I was going to, I was going to put my footprint or my imprint on somebody who wanted my help. And I was at Oakcrest for about a year and a half. And then I transferred to where I'm at now, which is Pinelands Regional High School. They brought me over because again, they wanted me to start a culinary program. Um, and then uh, little by little, I've got a nice little uh, group of kids who have graduated, you know, who have gone through my program, through culinary school and now are actually chefs in the industry that I keep in touch with. So when, when did you start that? So you've been doing that for what, 15 years? Uh, since 2008, 2009. Wow. So yeah, 12, 13, 12, yeah. 12 years. That's awesome. Yeah. It's, it's pretty cool. Did you ever teach a history class just out of curiosity? <laughs> I never taught a history class. <laughs> well, I think, I think a neat little tie in there was, yeah. He, he will, I mean, you do, right? You bring in the yeah. history of a fruit or a vegetable sure. or something and well, I, and make actually, a history lesson about food. I have a, I have a bunch of units. I have a, a whole curriculum on food history. And so um, some of the things I've done when I teach, I have a unit on chocolate. So I teach them the history of chocolate and who discovered it, how it's produced. And, you know, that goes back to the Aztecs and the Spanish explorers who discovered and brought back to Europe. Um, I've taught, when I teach uh, a starch section, potato section. I talk about the Irish potato famine and the impact that had on the world and, and, our, and our country. Um, I talk about current events in food because that, you know, the, my background in um, history has helped me, you know, gain an interest in like the history of the fast food industry in our country and, and how that has affected our eating habits and our, our food production habits. And so all these little historical things um, I, I've added on. So I, I even, um, I have a lesson on um, George Washington. The, the first White House chef was a slave. The first chef wow. of the White House was actually a slave. Well, I do a, I do a lesson on that. Um, so I've got a bunch of little things. Uh, when I teach a pasta unit, we talk about how Italian immigrants changed the way we eat in this country as far as Italian food. And, you know, how 19, you know, turn of the century Italian immigration changed our eating habits. So I've, I've been able to like read a lot and do a lot of uh, research on, you know, some historical things with food and, and, and culinary and things like that. And I think what's cool, like once the education part happens, 
even through the process and then, you know, after the process, because you did what you did at such a young age with the phone calls, with the 50 different restaurants, with the, you know, with the getting out the magazines, with the doing the homework, you're going to be able to teach them something in school about a skill they're learning in school that nobody else is doing. Yeah. And I'll tell you what, the one, you know, I, I think the one thing that, you know, there's a, there's a funny joke in my high school, you know, you know, where people just bust chops and, and you know, I have a great relationship with my fellow teachers, but anytime they want to mess with me, they, they ask me to, you know, are you going to do laundry today? Cause I have a shirt that needs laundered or are you sewing today? Cause you know, they call me the home ec teacher and they know that that mm-hmm. bothers me. So they make fun of me, <laughs> but, and, and that's our, you know, that's teacher, you know, how teachers, how teachers, uh, you know, operate. But the funny thing is since this whole pandemic or whatever you want to call it, you know, since we've been indoors for five weeks, so to speak, Let me tell you something, a lot of, I mean, the one thing I have to say, I think it turns my class and anybody's culinary cooking class in high school or grade school into the one of the most important things these kids can learn because I have students that, you know, in the area where I teach, I have students that are home alone all day whose parents either work all day or whose parents, let's just say, aren't acting like parents should and they're on their own. And they picked up a little, even if it's just want to call it a life skill, skill, which is bare minimum, at least they can take care of themselves or take care of their little brother and sister. And then mm. I have students who, when you talk about those 50 phone calls, John, I've done that twice so far uh, with two students where I literally came home from school and got on the phone with chefs all over the country to place one kid at a five-star resort in Colorado and place another student at a four-star hotel in Cape Cod. And so, you know, still, awesome. it's, it still hasn't changed as far as, you know, and they're, and they're learning. That's how you do it. Right. Huh? Right. That's amazing. It is so true about the life skill. I mean, I, um, I've always, I would say I like to cook before I got into the restaurant business. I didn't, it didn't bother me, but now like I, I, every night I'm pretty much the one cooking. Cause I, I'm like, what am I doing tonight? I just want to. What am I playing with? Here's some garlic. Here's some whatever. Yep. What's what's happening? What's going to happen? You know. So, um, and what's our it, it, and what's our what's our concern? Everybody, what's our concern right now? When you go to the store, is there anything going to be there? What am I going right. to make with what they have to offer? I mean, literally everything about what's going on right now is is chick. You know, is something going to run out? And how am I? And what am I going to cook? What am I going to eat? It's, right. I mean, half and you our can even go. You can even go one food. step beyond that which is all the stuff you eat that you can just grab if you don't know how to make anything is what causes all the health issues that oh, we yeah. have, Correct. which is what makes everybody vulnerable in the first place. So like a lot of this stuff isn't just about the life skill. You know, this is about longevity. This is about health. This is about, you know, whatever they find valuable to teach their family and their kids and, and the, you know, all the way down the line, what goes on with, you know, being able to prepare your own food and, you know, all the benefits that come along with that. To your point, John, my my favorite meal to make the kids while, sorry, sorry, Dave. No, go Um, on, please. My my favorite meal to make the kids every, you know, couple of days is, um, is some sort of egg, you know, um, thing because I have I have two vegetarians in the house that will eat eggs, but that's the only thing they'll eat. So it's the one thing I can make where everybody will eat, right? And and I can put you know spinach and asparagus and peppers and 
onions and tomatoes and whatever I want to do and put all of that into. And not only is it fun to make it that way, but as you're sauteing those vegetables, it smells great, which gives a great experience. And, and then, you, you know, it's a beautiful, all the different colors. And it's just, it, you, I, it, I feel so good to be able to feed them something that really is good for them. You know what I mean? That's like, they, I know for sure that it's, it's 100% going to be great for their body. And, and to your point, John, in this, these times, you got to make sure you're putting the proper stuff in your body. So. Yeah, it's critical right now, you know, and, and I think what's also going to make a comeback is the dinner table, the oh, it, sitting it the, the dinner table. There's a lot of things that th- this is going to change certain landscapes, the dinner table, um, you know, is, is one major thing. And, uh, you know, which is less which, TV, less TV. I tell you, yeah. because nobody wants to watch it. It's just, no, it's, too de- it's so depressing. Yep. Right. Absolutely. Um, Why well, I even uh, been talking to some friends about, uh, you know, some, you know, people about, you know, uh, uh, doing some things around, you know, what are we all going to do after this? I guess it's basically my, my point is like, what are we all going to do when we all have a chance to celebrate? Right. And, you know, a lot of the conversations are like, well, the, the first party I have, I don't want, I don't want anyone to bring phones. I don't want, there's like, why should anyone want technology yeah. at, at that type of thing? Right. We're, it's the only thing that we have right now. And as John and I have talked about, he, my, my day, unfortunately working from home as well as many people's is, you know, just sitting in front of a computer all day. Yeah. It's just, it's so bad for you. So. Yeah. Yep. The one, the one cool thing that, that, you know, I, cause I, I have to now, you know, Schools changed to online learning, obviously, which which has been really for my class. It kind of just it is what it is. There's just nothing I can do. But I did, you know, I, I send out assignments. You know, like one of the one of the things I'm doing is, you know, kids. It's it's tough to get them to read, but you can learn. I, I send them articles on the restaurant industry, what they're doing with the coronavirus, our farmers, what are their challenges, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you know, uh, how to ha- you know, food articles about what to cook while you're while you're going through this, um, and and you know, and so kids are learning, uh, you know, about certain things about this virus and this pandemic and how to handle it and what are the challenges. But the one thing I offered them was, if you don't want to do the worksheet, make a video, cook something, something you've learned in class. Show me a skill from start to finish and video it. And not a lot of the kids have done that because some kids, you don't know their financial situation at home and whether they could just go out and buy anything and everything. But it's been really cool seeing a number of students send me videos of themselves cooking. And uh, some of them have, have been pretty fun. And, you know, they make it, they make, you know, a, a nice, hilarious, you know, they have, they have fun with it. It's been really watching them of some of the skills I had an opportunity to teach them and to put it to good use and get a grade for it. You know, it's been cool. Right. You know? yeah, if you were to go through your head, just all the things that food does and all the situations and all the people it brought together and holidays and grandma's famous this. And I mean, food is just such a big part of, of, of so many things. Yeah. And it's, it's, I think it's really hit home, you know, especially now with, you know, with everything, the good and the bad of food, you know? Yeah, we're making, you know, we're making, you know, my mom comes here and we make my grandmother's cookies yeah. and we make my grandmother's food and, you know, it's just fun for us oh, yeah. to do and sitting down at the table and all the things that um that we thought we were too busy for, but actually mean something. Absolutely. So, so I'll ask you one last question is and, and you know, you may, you may not have an answer for it, but, um, you know, you, you kind of sound like you're, you're in a place where, you know, you've been able to 
put together your dream scenario. You got uh, you got two little ones ish. Yeah. They're not super little, <laughs> anymore, but um, yeah, uh, and. Yeah. So, and obviously the, the job you have, you're really enjoying it's right in your wheelhouse yeah. of now teaching and, and culinary. So, you know, but the journey's not over, you know, we're all, you know, mid midlife, yeah. but midlife is only halfway. So do you see anything, you know, as we kind of tap back into the theme here of, of goal setting and being able to go after something and, and obtaining that, I mean, what, what does that look like for you? If you have anything currently in mind or what, what you would, what you're dreaming of a little bit. Maybe. That's a great question. Um, right now, I don't, it's, that's a tough one. I think right now it's, I don't know if this is a, a, a real, a big one, a big answer, but I'd love to see one of my students, or even if it's not, even if that student, I, even if I haven't taught that student yet, I, I my, the ultimate goal was to, as far as being a teacher, a culinary teacher was to teach a student for, a few years in high school, stay in touch with them while they go to culinary school, keep guiding them where you're needed, where I'm needed, maybe help them if they allow it to get them that first job or guide them and give them advice on that first job. Stay in touch a little bit and see them get their first executive chef job and maybe like go to that yeah. restaurant or stay at that hotel. Yeah. You know, that would be the ultimate and, and have that in, in one way or another, have that, you know, have that person just like say, "Hey, you had you had a little part to play in this." Thank you. That would be that sure. would be the ultimate. You know, and, and um, I'm not. I, I have a few students who um, who are getting there, um, and uh, who I've helped a little bit. And you know, I consider it an honor to, that they allow me to help them because some kids will you, you'll teach and they'll go off on their own and and, and that's it. And you know, and they're, they're doing their sure. thing, and that's that's okay. But I've had a I've had a few who stay in touch, and I've helped continually help them get jobs. Um, even even this year, I got a couple of students who already graduated culinary school. I helped them to get a job on LBI at this new hotel. Um, so that would be the ultimate. If somebody made it to the top, and, uh, and awesome. that, that that would be I would be able. You know, you, you go to bed that night going, you've 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 made it. You've made a big difference. You've helped. You know, and that would that would be pretty That's cool. Great. That would be pretty cool. That's awesome. Well, I, uh, based off of everything I know, I don't see any reason why that won't happen for you because you, you, you do everything, um, in, in the proper order. You know, I think sometimes so many people want to skip to step four after only doing step one and two. So, um, from my vantage point, I think I, I don't see why that won't happen. You're going to keep teaching and you're going to keep, keep inspiring and somewhere along the line, that's definitely going to be uh, the result. I believe, uh, uh, that's just my guess based off of what I know about. I appreciate that. Anything else you got, John? No, I just hope you learned a little something about yourself, how great you are. And I Man. hope, you know, one day as your kids listen to this, they can hear your story and that this is our gift to you. And and it's just I just think it's another sign of your greatness to have your next dream be fulfilling other people's dreams. So that just speaks to who you well, are. I appreciate that. This was uh, this is a great time. It's, uh, it was really uh, enjoyable talking with you guys, you know, going down a little memory lane. You too. This is, this is really good. Yep. Very good, man. Right. We'll, we'll keep in touch and we'll talk soon. Thank you, gentlemen. Great time. Yeah. I appreciate it. Thanks. Yeah, thank right. you. Take care. Bye. Keep the conversation going. Hit play.